I've actually got got my um, American standard version out uh, thinking about yesterday and it's quite a good version anyway um, and the reading today is from um, it's from Luke chapter 6 starting at verse 20 and turning his gaze towards his disciples he began to say blessed are you who are poor for yours is the kingdom of God blessed are you who hunger now, for you shall be satisfied. Blessed are you who weep now, for you shall laugh. Blessed are you when men hate you and ostracize you and insult you and, and scorn your name as evil for the sake of the Son of Man. Be glad in that day and leap for joy, for behold, your reward is great in heaven. For in the same way, their fathers used to treat the prophets. But woe to you who are rich, for you are receiving your comfort in full. Woe to you who are well fed now, for you shall be hungry. Woe to you who laugh now, for you shall mourn and weep. Woe to you when all men speak well of you, for their fathers used to treat the false prophets in the same way. So we're going to be looking at uh, those verses that Jenny's just read for us in Luke's Gospel. So Luke chapter 6 and uh, verses 20 to 26. Now Luke 6 contains some of the most familiar things Jesus ever said. Uh, it's often referred to as the Sermon on the Mount. And in many ways, it's the New Testament equivalent of the Old Testament law. Uh, this is where Christians often look to see how they should live in the world. In fact, this whole scene is like a rerun of the older story of Moses at Mount Sinai. Moses went up on a mountain to speak with God. Then he came down with God's instructions on how his people should live, uh, including saying that they would be blessed and, and would be a blessing to the world as they followed God's way. Uh, that now happens all over again here, but this time it's Jesus who goes up on a mountain to speak with God before coming down with instructions on how we, his followers, should live so that we will be a blessing to the world today. Now that tells us, by the way, the fact that it's, it's uh, connecting those momentous events of the past into the present. That tells us that God is doing something through Jesus Christ that has the power to really change things because it changes us. So Jesus is not here just making some suggestions. You know, we might try living like this, a kind of ethical experiment and see how it goes. No, he is telling us what God's kingdom, in other words, God's rule, looks like when it really does start to transform our lives. And Jesus begins this sermon by completely redefining what we think of as blessed or valuable or worthy. It's like he's saying to us, we will only understand what it means to live as God's people if we first reconfigure how we see success and blessing. And so he begins with that very word, blessed. Now, this was a very familiar word, both in the Greek and Hebrew world, of Jesus' day. 
uh, people often thought about what it meant and what it looked like to be blessed. So in Greek thinking, the famous poet Homer had used this same word blessed to describe the wealthy person, he said. The Greek philosopher Plato had likewise used this word blessed to describe the one who's successful in their business and in what they do. Both Homer and Hesiod, another Greek poet, spoke of the Greek gods as being blessed because, they said, the Greek gods are unaffected by poverty, disease, weakness, misfortune and death such as we humans experience. So in ancient Greek thought at, at that time in Jesus's day, blessed are the rich and successful, they would say. Blessed are those who are untouched by poverty, weakness or misfortune. Now in Jewish and, and Hebrew thought, uh, particularly in the Old Testament, for example, the word blessed was supposed to be more about how you live than about what you have or what you experience. So in the Old Testament, God spoke about the blessing that comes with living according to his instruction. And the word blessed was particularly important for the Old Testament wisdom writers who said that those who live wisely in the wisdom of God are blessed. But of course, still the question of what blessing looks like came up. And it tended again to lead to the conclusion that, that well, those with lots of nice things and very few troubles must be the ones who are blessed by God. And I think still for us today, our culture and our own lives are driven by that idea that success and worth and value and blessing means having all the things we want and avoiding all the troubles that we don't want. And that's why, then and still now, we might find what Jesus says here so strange. Blessed are the poor, he says. Blessed are the hungry. Blessed are those who weep. Those who are hated, excluded, shunned. Theirs is the kingdom of God, Jesus says. They will find satisfaction. They will know joy, he says. They will have a reward with God. They're the ones God praises. Now, I think it's important to realise at this point uh, that poor, hungry, weeping, that the poor, hungry, weeping and despised ones Jesus mentioned here are probably all describing the same group of people in Jesus's day. In the first century, those who were financially poor were also those who were hungry and who knew a great deal of hardship and grief and sadness as a result. And they were often despised, excluded, insulted and rejected because of their poverty. And who was it that despised them? Well, it was the rich, well-fed, powerful people who were in control of things, who everyone showed great respect and honour to, and who had all the praise and all the accolades of society because of their wealth and position and power over things. That's how first century society tended to work. And Jesus suggests here, by the way, that that is what happens when you have a wrong understanding of blessing. If blessing is identified with wealth and power, then poverty and hardship very soon become thought of as a sign of perhaps guilt or failure or condemnation and shame. And as Jesus indicates here, very soon his own followers would be among that group of the despised, rejected, mocked ones, because very soon they would find themselves persecuted and even killed by those who are in power. Why? Because 
of their faith in Jesus Christ. And many concluded, the point is many concluded, and I think probably still do, that the poor were not living wisely, otherwise they wouldn't be poor. And surely the rich, well, they were on the right track. They were getting it right because, well, look at them. God seemed to have blessed them. But Jesus says here that that whole way of thinking is, is wrong. The poor are blessed, he says. And then he turns to the ones in power and he says, woe to you. Not congratulations, well done, but woe to you, rich, full, laughing ones who expect everyone to praise you and call you great. Because actually, Jesus says, you don't see that your riches are all you have. That's it. And he says, your fullness will run out. And your laughter, he says to them, will one day stop. And the praise that you receive in your grandeur and power is actually a false praise, Jesus says, because it's just like what they used to do with the false prophets. In other words, it's all just a shell covering an emptiness underneath. In the Old Testament, that phrase, woe, woe to you, uh, was used in the Old Testament to warn people who were on a wrong path that actually they didn't realize they were heading for a fall. Woe to you, watch out, it said, because it's going to come to nothing. It will all crumble away. So, so the things that we might assume or that society might assume are most desirable and most beneficial may actually not be at all, Jesus says. And if we're living for those things, we may be on a wrong track. A bit like Jesus said when I was talking to the children in Matthew's gospel, in the sermon there, in the Sermon on the Mount. Don't store up those things as if they're treasure. They fade away and they're destroyed and taken. Store, in, store up treasures instead in heaven. Those are the things, the things that God speaks to us about. Those are the things that will last forever and are actually far more valuable. But I guess just at this point, I just want you to notice that Jesus was making a very direct comment here about how society in his day was, was organized. So this, when, Jesus, when we read about blessed are the poor, woe to the rich, he doesn't mean, oh, if you're rich, you're damned, and if you're poor, you're fine. He's not just making some general comment there. This was about how things were in his day, how corrupt and unjust it was how the rich and powerful elites usually there in the center in Jerusalem took all the wealth and all the power and all the praise and assumed that therefore that was because they were the ones blessed by the gods and that meant that they would ignore and revile and even trample on and blame the poor who they saw as cursed unworthy losers and sadly that may even still be a sentiment that is with us today. Still, we, society puts all this praise on those with everything and shame on those without. And Jesus just wants to say, to, I think, to us as a community of human beings, as a society, that's a wrong understanding of blessing because what we often think of then as blessing and success and praiseworthy may not be to God. And what we may be seeing as unworthy and despised and failed and weak may actually be where God's kingdom is found to be most present. You will find God among those people, perhaps, that you look down on, he's saying. Now, at this point, I want us to understand that there are actually many ways 
that this kind of thing plays out in life. This is not just about money, because there are actually many different types of poverty. Um, and actually, I think that seems to be part of Jesus's point here, because he says, he says that those who think they're rich because they've got lots of wealth, he's saying to them, they may actually be destitute underneath. You know, their material fullness, he says, may actually just be covering up a deep lack, a poverty of their own underneath. It's just a different kind of poverty. So in that sense, how much money we have is not really the main point here. Yes, of course, it matters deeply to God when the economics of society cause suffering to the poor. Of course, that matters to God. And, and Jesus seems to say here that the root problem behind that kind of thing is when it's about how we see value and worth in others and in circumstances, and particularly in how we think of God and his blessing. Um, but, but my point now is that poverty is not just material. Poverty is about lack, and that comes in many different ways. Matthew's gospel actually helps us see that, because he, Matthew uh, records what Jesus says, and he adds the words in spirit to the word poor. Blessed are the poor in spirit. In other words, poverty doesn't just come uh, in outward material form. It's, there is an inner poverty as well, a poverty of spirit, and actually anyone can experience that. In fact, perhaps everyone does in some way. So, for example, there is emotional poverty, those who are hurt or perhaps numbed by trauma and their emotions are just drained. There is a, a poverty, a lack of joy for some people, those who are depressed, those who've been through one difficulty after another, or perhaps those who are bereaved. There is psychological poverty for some, those who lack peace in their minds. There is relation, relational poverty. You know, those who lack love in their life, those who are isolated or are completely alone. For some, there's poverty of security. That's what they lack. They feel perhaps anxious all the time or their future always feels under threat as they look ahead. There's poverty of prospects, those who have no opportunities, no hope for the future. Perhaps, perhaps they've got no way out of a harmful situation that they're in. There's loads, you know, educational poverty, health poverty, a poverty of hope. We could go on and on. Spiritual poverty, people who just lack God in their life. All of us experience some form of lack, some form, therefore, of poverty. And all of those things are real and they are felt and they are suffered. And we can be left feeling, can't we? Quite literally bereft, worthless, perhaps, forgotten, condemned even. Well, as Jesus put it here, perhaps we end up just feeling hungry and weeping and exiled, cut off from life. And what Jesus tells us here is that we must not interpret those poverties as meaning God is absent or against us, as if God, God was always over there with the successful happy people but not with me because I'm struggling so he can't be, we might think. No, Jesus says it's not like that. Blessed are the poor and the poor in spirit. The kingdom of God is theirs. It's for them. God surrounds you when you're in that place, in other words, like a king gathering his people to himself. So whatever has caused those poverties that we do experience, God is always the God whose rule means he is present to bless us as we listen to him, listen to Christ just like they were on this day in history that we're reading of in Luke. Listening and 
And Jesus is changing their perception of what it means to be blessed. Imagine what it must have sounded like to the people listening to Jesus here. You know, particularly those who were the poor, the weeping, the excluded ones. They were so used to people screwing up their noses at them. They were so used to being brushed aside, kicked aside even, mocked, blamed, the accusations, the dismissing of their lives as worthless and shameful. That's all they heard, those people. And then here was this, this man, Jesus. They called him the son of God. And he says, listen to me, you are blessed because God's kingdom belongs to you. There's not something wrong with you. You haven't failed. You're not worth less because you have less or because of your tears. In our suffering, even as we feel that lack, we are able to take hold of and therefore belong to God's kingdom because he's not a king who operates like the world often does. Now, at this point, I want to just read to you a modern version of the Beatitudes. It's inspired by the words of a, a Lutheran pastor in the United States. And I've just I've changed some bits so that you know they're not so American, we can understand them more in, in the UK. But I, and I want to actually to us, us to close our eyes and just hear these words as a kind of prayer. So let, let's close our eyes. Maybe the Sermon on the Mount is all about Jesus's lavish blessing of the people around him on that hillside, who his world, like ours, didn't seem to have much time for. Maybe Jesus was simply blessing the ones around him that day who didn't otherwise receive blessing and who had come to believe that for them blessings would never be on the cards. So imagine now Jesus standing among us offering some new beatitudes. Blessed are those who doubt, those who aren't sure, but who can still be surprised. Blessed are those who are spiritually impoverished, Blessed are those who have nothing to offer. Blessed are the preschoolers who cut in line at communion. Blessed are the poor in spirit. You are of heaven and Jesus blesses you. Blessed are those for whom death is not an abstraction. Blessed are those who have buried their loved ones and for whom tears could fill an ocean. Blessed are those who have loved enough to know what loss feels like. Blessed are the mothers of the miscarried. Blessed are those who don't have the luxury of taking things for granted anymore. Blessed are those who can't fall apart because they have to keep it together for everyone else. Blessed are those who still aren't over it yet. Blessed are those who mourn. You are of heaven and Jesus blesses you. Blessed are those who no one else notices, the kids who sit alone at the school lunch table, the laundry guys at the hospital, the early morning street sweepers. Blessed are the forgotten, blessed are those shut in. Blessed are the unemployed, the unimpressive, the underrepresented. Blessed are the teenagers who have to figure out ways to hide the new cuts on their arms. Blessed are the meek. You are of heaven and Jesus blesses you. Blessed are the wrongly accused, the ones who never catch a break, the ones for whom life is hard because Jesus chose to surround himself with people like them. Blessed are those who are only referred to as statistics, 
Blessed are the ones without a voice. Blessed are foster kids and special educational needs kids and every other kid who just wants to feel safe and loved. Blessed are those who make terrible business decisions for the sake of people. Blessed are the burnt out social workers and the overworked teachers and care workers spending the time with people that no one else has much time for. Blessed are the paramedics saving lives pretty much every single day. Blessed are those who use their fame to actually do good and make a difference. Blessed are the kids who step between the bullies and the weak. Blessed are those who hear that they're forgiven. Blessed is everyone who has ever forgiven me when I didn't deserve it. Blessed are the merciful, because they totally get it. So we imagine Jesus standing here, blessing us all, because we believe that is our Lord's nature. Because after all, it was Jesus who had had all the powers of the universe at his disposal, but did not consider his equality with God something to be exploited. Instead, he came to us in the most vulnerable of ways as a powerless flesh and blood newborn child. As if to say, you may hate your bodies, but I am blessing all human flesh. You may admire strength and might, but I am blessing all human weakness. You may seek power, but I am blessing all human vulnerability. This Jesus whom we follow cried at the tomb of his friend, and he turned the other cheek, and he forgave those even who hung him on a cross. Because Jesus was God's beatitude, God's blessing to the weak in a world that admires only the strong. God bless you, Lord Jesus. Amen. Now, I wonder how you felt as I read that list of blessed ones. I wonder if you felt relief, emotion, hope, reassurance, perhaps a, a sort of opening up, a widening of, of mercy in the light of God's grace. I wonder if you felt yourself saying an amen in agreement. You know, this is the kind of God we need. Yes, amen. Jesus said elsewhere, didn't he, that God's, in God's kingdom, the first are last and the last are first. And, and I think as Christians, that should affect in very real ways how we think and, and what we equate with blessing and how we therefore view things. It might seem strange that Jesus equates our experiences of poverty in its various forms with the kingdom of God. Why is that, we might say? Well, the, surely the answer ultimately is found by looking at the king himself, Jesus. Here in Luke 6 stands God's son, Jesus Christ, the king of kings. And he announced, didn't he, that with his arrival, the kingdom of God was indeed here. But he stands at this mountain here in Luke 6, not as a rich, powerful elite draped in gold. Our king stands as a man of humility, acquainted with our griefs and our sufferings. Jesus knew poverty in the material sense. He was not wealthy. But he knew every other kind of poverty too. He knew the emotional poverty of suffering in his spirit. He knew the poverty of relationship that comes with being abandoned and left alone. His, all his friends deserted him, even his own family. He even felt, he said, forsaken by God. Jesus knew psychological poverty, he, being in anguish, he said, and sorrowful unto death, he said in, in Gethsemane. Jesus knew 
social community poverty. He was rejected and despised by his own townsfolk, by his peers, by his countrymen. He knew the poverty of all his strength being emptied. And ultimately, of course, Jesus knew what it was to has, have absolutely everything taken from him when he went to the cross. His friends taken from him, his clothing taking from, taken from him, and all the shame that that brought for him. His rights being taken from him, his well-being, his dignity, his honour, his very humanity was taken, and even ultimately his life was taken from him when he was nailed to the cross and crucified. The New Testament says, for our sake, he became poor in every sense of poverty. And that is Christ the King. And that, and it is, we believe, don't we, that it's through his poverty there, his suffering, his death, that actually the kingdom of God is founded. That's how it works. Through his cross, we enter salvation, the kingdom. So in our own poverties, whatever form it might take for you, we actually do come face to face. We are coming close to Christ. We may not realize it at the time because of the pain that we're feeling, but in our poverty, we in fact meet him. We are rubbing shoulders, if you like, with the one who shared in our poverty in every sense. Even our sin, we're told, was somehow laid upon Christ so that in all our poverties, we meet the king who actually carries it all for us so that we do, as Jesus puts it here, begin to grasp the kingdom of God, about what it's really about, about who this king is. The kingdom of God becomes ours when we begin to see Christ in our own struggles. It is not the kingdom of the biggest and the best. It is not the kingdom of get your life together or fight your way to the top, because none of those things actually are good news at the end of the day, particularly when we're in need. Rather, it is the kingdom of Jesus Christ who gave up all his privileges for us. It is the kingdom of God and the humble enter it. It is the kingdom of God which calls the lost, the needy, Jesus said, the sinner, to come and find God in all his forgiveness and grace there alongside them, giving himself to save them, to save you. It is the kingdom of God where the poor, the weeping, the humble, the low find their God and saviour. And in doing so, their lives are lifted up because God is with them. Transformation begins to occur in that place. And so indeed, we begin to be blessed in our poverty, not because poverty in itself is good. Please don't misunderstand. Of course not. Jesus is not saying that poverty in itself is a good thing and we just need to get used to it. No, he says transformations are promised to you here in the Beatitudes. Tears, he says, will be wiped away. Hunger will be satisfied. Rejoicing will come. But what he is saying to us is this. We, you will not find that salvation in clamoring after wealth and power in the world we need to begin by seeing things very differently to how we used we're used to by seeing that actually our own sufferings and the sufferings of others that's not a sign of the absence of god's love but may in fact bring us face to face with god himself who is there among us to rescue us through his son jesus and so indeed in the hunger and poverty and tears, ours becomes the kingdom of God because it's there that we find the king. 
who saves us through a cross. Romans 8 says we share in his sufferings so that we may also share in his glory. So do not be afraid in your own weaknesses and poverties, because when you're there, perhaps you are closer to Christ than ever. And just as his own sufferings led on to new life in his resurrection, so too Jesus is there in your sufferings in order to give you that hope of newness to come. Tomorrow, perhaps, or the next day, but certainly into eternity with him. So we will get through with Christ and with one another as his people. And one day he will raise us up even from death and will bring us then into a new creation where every tear, God says, will indeed finally be wiped away and life will, be over, will overcome death itself because he will make us and indeed all things new. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we... These are challenging passages because we live in a society, we live our own life so often, just like they were in the first century. We assume that the ones who've got everything they want and life's great, we, we think, well, God must love them and bless them. And we assume that when we're struggling and in pain, we think, what have I done wrong? It must be something wrong with me. Lord, Jesus helps us to just do what actually is really hard, is to get our head out of that place and see that it's not about how much we have or, how, or even how little we have. It's about Christ, the King, bearing all our sufferings and taking even our sin so that we can know the greater treasure of your kingdom and your love. So, Lord, help us. It's really tough for us when we've lived years of our lives thinking in the old way. Help us by your spirit to, like, like eyes being opened, so that we will actually see blessing in the true sense and that we will find it in Christ, our Saviour. Help us, we pray, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Amen.